Hello and welcome to the Vision Podcast 3.0. My name is Julia Brunton and some people call me Jules. This podcast is about life, whether your goal is living your best life or simply navigating life. By listening to this podcast, you may learn something new, you may well get inspired and you may well laugh. And you may even find you ignite a new sense of self-belief too. All I ask is you remain open. Each week, please join me and guests as we share stories, learnings and truths from past and present, the good, the bad, the brilliant. Thank you for joining the Vision community. Jeff James, his experience blends high volume mastery and Michelin star finesse, classically trained in French cuisine and excelled in Californian, Hawaiian, regional, South American and Pan-Asian. His formal cooking education began 30 years ago with the Navy on the USS Abraham Lincoln and most recently in California as culinary director for Michelin star restaurant Atelier Crenn pre-COVID. Throughout his career, James's cuisine has been commended by many dignitaries and high-profile clientele. He has also appeared on many media outlets, including the Travel Channel, Food Network, amongst many others. James, hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us today on the Vision Podcast 3.0. James is, I want to say, tuning in from the West Coast of America. Uh, it's good to have you on and good to see you, James, after a number of years. James, before we dive into career, life and the world of food and cuisine uh, and your career, which is, gosh, it's an immense portfolio of work. Before we dive into that, can we roll first with a quick rapid fire warm up session? Is that good with you? Absolutely. Yeah, super. So we're going to start off with a very simple, sweet or savory, James, are you, which one works for you? I have to go with savory, but 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 a little secret. We always put a little sweet in our savory to balance it with a little salt, and that's what makes it so interesting. I like that top tip there from Jane. Perfect. And do you, as a person, have any midnight snacks? So when if you wake up at night, is there a something that you'll go to the fridge or the cupboard oh, with, or not? My guilty indulgence is ice cream. Um, that's my midnight snack. It could be any flavors: Rocky Road, vanilla, chocolate. Um, it would definitely have to be ice cream. Now, if you could travel anywhere in the world for food alone, where would it be? And I know that's uh, a big question. I, I would have to say, I would have to say Spain. Um, I'm I'm a fan of El Bali back in the day, so I had Spain on my radar forever. When he closed down, I was so heartbroken. But then you have El Cellar de Cam Roca, you have Marguerites, you have so many other three Michelin star restaurants making noise, and I just. I feel that Barcelona is the place where it just really, really culinary and it just comes together and, and creates that magic. Mm, amazing. Oh, that's making me my mouth water. And I haven't, you haven't even said, mentioned any food, but it's getting me excited. <laughs> um, do you have, or if someone asked you what your culinary superpower was? Now, I know you, you have many, but if you had to maybe highlight one. I, the only thing that really comes to mind and just hits me upside the head when you say that is um, I do a lot of food competitions or I'll have owners of the resorts that I'm I'm, I'm in charge of and there'll be a VIP dinner or something very, very important where you can't fail. And I choose to do things I've never done before. So yeah. I think the challenge of being scared and running at that scared, embracing that scared and taking on that challenge 
um, and seeing what you're made out of. And I've created some of my best dishes that way. Oh, gosh, that's uh, it, it's an opposite. That. It's an opposite of comfort zone that most chefs take. I, there's something about the challenge. Nerves of steel coming to mind. That's what I want to say. Now, if you had a dream dinner guest, alive or dead. Ooh. Oh, I know that's a tough one. That's No, no, no. It's not a tough one. It'd be more than one. If Dream dinner guest. This is going to sound a little weird because it's not a name that anybody's going to, well, they'll recognize in music, but it's not like a TV star. But I would say Jack Johnson, um, just because his philanthropy of what he does for Hawaii and his music and just moves people. I'm drawn to artists and I'm drawn to people that take their platform and make a difference with it. Mm. And I, I that to me is, is start star power or starstruck if you will um and i think that my food and his way of living would blend mm -hmm. into this artistry that would create magic yeah. favorite or must-have cooking utensil oh gosh um, <laughs> I i'm gonna sound so tacky to say the tweezers but they come in so much handy or my fish spatula or my spoons. I'm I, I going to have to go with spoons. I, I'm a I'm a spoon fanatic. I collect spoons. Ooh, it's okay. all about the spoons. Okay, fantastic. And when you cook, do you have do you play ever play music, or are you a silent cooker, or a? I'm I'm a music person. Yeah. Um, I believe that if you're you're an artist, at least when I cook, I'm an artist. And if I'm in a good mood, the food's going to translate that. If I'm in a bad mood, the food's going to translate that. Even if I've cooked that dish a thousand times, it doesn't matter. And music transcends you into that really spiritual good mood. And and I feel it comes out in the sauces. It comes out in your technique. And people feel the love, love what you do. And you're in the moment. Music is key. I like that you use that. What's the first thing you do in the morning to kickstart your day? I'm a coffee fanatic. I cannot. <laughs> I know people don't drink coffee, but if I don't have my coffee, I don't wake up. If I have my coffee, I'm like a little kid in the park. I'm in that good mood and I'm ready to take on the world. Got to have my coffee and some fruit. Yeah. Okay, and some fruit, absolutely. Key or food-related talents? Is yes. there one specialty or one quirky or uh, something that you're known for? Um, something that I'm known for is my smoked uh, kiabi uh, hamachi dish. And, and hamachi comes from Hawaii. It's a beautiful sashimi grade uh, white fish. And I used to be known for my ahi. But when I moved to Hawaii, I figured everybody does ahi. I got to get something that, that nobody else has done. And I made my signature dish with hamachi. And it's uh, if you love sashimi, you love sushi, it's on steroids times 100 out of the park. It's insane umami explosion in your mouth. It's very simple and elegant, but okay. just it's about the technique and the thought process. Oh, sounds delicious. Sounds like my kind of dish. So do you do you do you have you named do you name your signature dishes or do you just put them under the standard name just out of interest? It, it depends where I'm at. If I'm in a place where it's whimsical and gimmicky, I will definitely name the dishes. Um, okay. Especially when we were in Hawaii, it was cool to name dishes. Um, but if it's more on the Michelin cutting edge, I will use romanticized words of not the whole thing, but just the staples or the foundation of the dish. Thank you, James. Fantastic. Well, that's given us a little taster. Gosh, look at this. For... <laughs> For uh, for your some of your 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 essence, but um, now I I I wanted to share with viewers because I think it's really important from where you are now to where you started, and I love it. Um, the fact that you started on U.S. Abraham Lincoln cooking for six thousand crew members, 
I mean, that was many years ago, over 30 years ago. Now, is there one word that would describe that experience? Foundation, foundation, discipline, foundation. It's, 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 if I can elaborate on that, um, I can't find the gentleman to thank him today, but I got top of my class because I wanted to pick the smallest ship, have the easiest job and sail through the Navy, right? Um, and get my cooking degree. And this gentleman said, well, get your feet wet, get on an aircraft carrier. And I said, but that's for people who do bad on the test. And I studied and I, and I did really well. And what, you know, that's a punishment. And he goes, no. If you get on that aircraft cooking for 6,000 people a day and you can get through that, there'll be nothing in your career or life that you'll look back on and say, this is hard. You will go through the hardest at your youngest age and know what hard is to understand what having fun means. And it's so true. When I have my worst days, I look back and I'm like, eh, this ain't so bad. And I wish I could thank them. But what I do is I pay that forward to the young generation or the next generation coming in. And I try to share that. You can't tell them. They have to experience it. And once they experience it, then they understand you can connect the the, the two. Yeah. I mean, it makes complete sense. You said, what, what a foundation, what a grounding. If you had, I mean, you, you've in your career, which is immense, working restaurants, hotels, privately, you, you know, of all levels. Do you, I mean, it, there must be so many, but do you have a most memorable culinary experience? In your career could have stood out for you as a chef uh julie i actually do it was actually in hawaii i do a lot of uh, food competitions but a lot of these competitions are charity driven but so supports the aina and i started it started back when i was i've been cooking for uh jelly belly the owner personally for i think going on 15 years is christmas party every year and every year I would try to do one up and one up. And what I mean by that is theatrical. It's bring all the senses, the smell, the sound, the taste, the feel. Mm -hmm. If I was doing seafood, I made you feel like you're in Alaska with the misters and the dry ice and, and the visual and make it blue and, and have that noise underneath of the ocean or the, the whales. So subtleties. And then when you would taste it, you would feel like you're eating the freshest seafood in, in Alaska. So in Hawaii, we would do competitions and it would be like, Okay, we're going to give you all the local ingredients of the of you know the island, and you have to create a dish, and you got graded on presentation. So how well you took that ingredients and displayed it. So I would take a six foot waterfall that was made for your backyard, made out of fiberglass, and fill it with koaloa rum, uh, which was the coffee rum at the time to aerate that smell through the air. And one year I said, I'm going to make 300, it was 350 people. It was a Hawaii Food Manufacturers Association. I said, I'm going to make 350 pieces of food float in the air. I don't know how, I said this two years before, but I'm going to do it. And they put that in the paper. So I had to do it. And I came up with it and, and we did the Hawaiian islands. It was a uni panacata with, with uh, Kona lobster. And it was just insane. And it spun in the air and people would be like, so how do I eat this? And I go, you just grab it, grab it in midair and eat it. And it was just, it evoked the emotions of a little kid and everybody, no matter who you were, brought people together. And it was just that picture moment where people were just, that little kid playing with their food again. And uh, I have to say that was my best, uh, my best memory of challenging myself to rise to the top to find a way. That yeah. absolutely, that sounds very special, very dynamic and creative and uh, fun too. I mean, so many, so many pieces. It's definitely more than just food, isn't it? It's art and storytelling as well. So it's incredible how, how you extend your skill into other 
into other areas. Now, that was a high. Now, as someone who sat in many, many kitchens in your career, um, resilience is often a key trait for success, I think, in any field, but including in the culinary world. So could you share a moment from your career when you faced perhaps maybe a significant setback or challenge or and how you managed to either overcome it, bounce back, or what lessons did you learn from that experience or moment? So two incidents come to mind, but I'm going to go with the one that um, I feel at the beginning of my career set the foundation for me never persistence and never give up no matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets. And I was at the Wickham Hotel in San Francisco on Market Street across from the Orpheum Theater where we would do shows for like Mamma Mia, Saturday Night Live. And we would have 200 guests come into the restaurant and we would have one hour to cook that and then turn on the matinee, turn around and do it again for dinner. And we just had, and we did banquets. So it was a 600 room hotel. And I was new. I was coming from uh, Oakland Marriott to Convention Center doing 3,000 uh, dinners. So I was perfect for this, but I was young. I was only 26 years old to maybe 24. My first executive chef position, didn't want to screw it up. And the GM had all the GMs and owners from all the hotel there. And I was putting on a dinner for 100 people and it was Seabass. And he goes, and, and I'll never forget this. It was around Christmas time. It was about five o'clock at night on a Friday. And the GM, Mr. Lee, comes out and goes, whatever you do, do not overcook the fish. And I'm like, you got it. And one of the cooks misread the, the BEOs. And I turn around and it was too late. The fish was already in the oven. There was no way of saving it. So I called the local fishmongers down the road. It was about maybe 10 blocks. And he said, yes, but we're about to close and I don't have the manpower. And I said, what if I go over there, jump over the counter and help you cut? And he goes, okay. I drove my car over there, jumped over the counter. We're cutting up the sea bass. I'm on my way back and there's gridlock traffic. And everything I can, I'm so embarrassed. I call my cooks. We do a caravan. I drive up to the hotel. We pass off the fish like a Bhutan. They had pans going on. Yeah, I just instructed them to have the big rondos going with the hottest fire they could have. And we threw the fish a la minute. And as it was finishing, we already had all the plates set up. We were putting the fish on and literally at the last second, the last fish went out on time. The GM comes out and goes, the fish was amazing. Thank you. And I literally was like, like this, no problem. <laughs> and I knew right then and there that there would be nothing, no excuse or nothing that could ever challenge me or get in my way that I could not overcome without a team a good team and a good mindset. And, and, and that's what I learned. It was mindset. Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth as you're talking. How did that happen? It's, it's the mindset you had to have made a decision and then there was no going back and you were just going to make it happen. How did it feel in that moment? I mean, do you remember, were you, you sort of in the zone? Like sometimes people go into a zone or were you very, did you feel chaotic or did you just feel extremely like laser focused and this has to happen? I felt as if I was pushing at like an outer body experience and I was pushing my body through a wall and, and saying, you be the wall, become the wall. You are the wall. There is no roadblock. Just keep going. And um, it, it, if I had to, it was a transcendentalism experience. Yeah. It was like watching yourself in a video game and, and achieving success and knowing in your mind that failure is not an option. I don't know what it tastes like. 
and we're not going there. there it, no was not even in the vocabulary. It out, was, of by in, the way. out of interest, did, did the gentleman you mentioned, did he learn about did you ever say what went on behind the scenes or he just knew nothing it just i never said a word and matter of fact if he watches this he's retired he'll probably laugh so hard because he remembers <laughs> that day never said a word <laughs> brilliant absolutely brilliant i love it i love it i love it fantastic so talking of um ingredients do you have sort of a favorite ingredient oh, i i know you 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 you're sort of disciplined in a variety of different um you know techniques and cuisine or perhaps um, any lesser known ingredients that you enjoy experimenting with? Um, I, I gotta say, it's gonna be weird, but for me, it's it's lemongrass. It's something as simple as lemongrass because it's not a lemon, it's not a lime, uh, it's, it's, it's a root and it's not ginger, it's not garlic, but it's just so light. Mm. So the essence, the oil that you get from it, it's so sophisticated. And you can infuse that in so many different ways, whether it be an accent, whether it be the main focal point, whether it be a foam where you eat like a beautiful decadent fish that's rich, and you get this really airy, just punching you in your palate flavor of, of lemongrass where you're just in awe and transcended into going, ooh, what is that? It's, it, it it's it's an interesting mindset versus I've tasted this, I've tasted this, I know what that tastes like, but people always kind of go, ooh, and I love when I can make people stop mid-sentence of, of eating and go, ooh, what was that? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. it's there, but it's not too in your face, but it's enough no. to... Subtle be... sophistication. Yeah. Yes, I like that. We like yeah. that. Sounds good. Yes, that's it. that's it. And how do you actually buy that? I mean, just out of interest, because people may not be familiar, is that? Most Asian markets will carry it. If not, yeah. you can actually get them frozen. You can order it online frozen. The frozen isn't going to be as um, pungent. Um, and you actually, depending on your climate, can try to grow it. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, the trick is you can only use this much of the root in. The rest doesn't really have that much flavor. All the flavor is just in this part right here. And you take a mallet or a hammer or the back of your knife and you hit it and you bruise it to the oils, the essence just come out. And uh, and and it's so versatile. Like you could use it as the mainstream flavor or just as a just subtlety right up here, you know, okay. and that's, you, that's the beauty of it. It could be the star and it could be the supporting actor. You know, it's uh, that, yeah. that's great to because it's I think it's always nice to just share a bit of insight. I appreciate that for listeners to. So people can start, you know, thinking of these things and then how they can apply it into, because we often, it's so easy to get into, um, you know, s staying in a safe lane, isn't it? Where there's a few little things you could purchase a few items that just shift a huge dish. So fantastic. Um, if I can, if I can translate it like this, we take a fresh lemon and put it over our fresh fish, right? Yeah. And that's like a common thing is, is yeah. that freshness of the citrus. Well, mm. this is a form of citrus, but more subtlety if you will. Okay. So like you said, the safe lane would be the lemon and right. then the creativity side and, and imagination would be the lemongrass. Okay. It's very clear now. Fantastic. Thinking of, see, with your styles of cooking as well, you're used to, uh, you've been influenced by different cultures, haven't you? The key cultures that have shaped your culinary perspective. Um, does one, one sort of preside over others or is it you literally have blended, you've taken them all and... Well, I think my core foundation, I was born and raised in Miami. I was adopted at the age of four and my mom was a pottery artist 
and she thought she was Japanese in her past life. And I learned to use chopsticks and make dragon uh, plates out of ceramics. And she would cook, you know, um, Pan-Asian meals from Japan or China. And in Miami in the 80s, that was not a thing. So I was very fortunate to be introduced to something like that. But I took that. But really, the, what really got me was going to my friend's houses and having their grandmothers cooking. And when you walked into the house, you were hugged from the inside out with the smell of what, what you call, it's called sofrito. And sofrito is just, it's an essence that till today, you ever see the cartoons where they're in the hypnotized and they're floating and they're, and they're going in, that's, that's sofrito for me. So I knew at a young age that I love and hugging somebody and showing love through your food started with the base of a sofrito. So that shaped my culinary experience. If I'm cooking a French dish, or I'm cooking a Pan-Asian or a California or, or a Caribbean infused with something, the base will always start with a sofrito because that is the foundation of love in my culinary cooking. And that's the, and so my food is a little bit more bolder than most where people have subtlety. The boldness comes from that sofrito. Mm. Interesting. Thank you. That's good to understand. Again, another something new that um, will be what's well, new to me, and I'm sure no, no doubt new to our listeners as well. Um, so if I had to ask you about cooking tips and advice, what advice would you have to any um, aspiring chef? So whether that's for a career, perhaps in the, you know, um, to make a mark in the industry or any key, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be um specific to you know the food side you know like you spoke earlier on mindset etc in order to build a career in 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 this industry my mind went in five different directions when you said that because if i had to tell a young inspiring chef about what they're getting into i would have to say it starts with your team um not to be their friend not to be their best friend um care for them absolutely but you can't do anything without the, le the the leadership, meaning you have to have your team believe in what you're doing. You have to listen to what their ideas are um, and blend them into yours to get their buy-in. Um, I think that's the most in important core ingredient when moving somebody or moving a an idea forward. Um, I would have to say do table visits. You know, what, what it, main thing, whatever you're scared of, don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't give it to most chefs will give it to other people that do well. And that makes sense, right? You want to put somebody on a, on a uh, garmage station or expediter if they're not good at it, but sometimes challenging people is what it's all about. Embrace that, run at it, hug it, champion it. Because then again, when you turn back 10 years from now, you're, there's nothing you're scared of. There's nothing you can't take on. And, and it drives you. You'll be, you'll, you'll be more driven and more passionate about what you do versus being scared of your career. Um, if I had to say it in that light um, and try different things, you know, just because you don't know what curries are, or you've never experienced what curries, don't buy the stuff in a jar. Don't buy the powders. Make it from scratch. Do the mortar and pesto. Get in there. You know, experiment with it because chances are the first one's going to be disgusting. The second one's going to be okay. <laughs> the third one's going to be somewhat resembling curry. And then the fourth and fifth and tenth and a hundred time, you're going to become the expert at something that you were scared of. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where all chefs we grow is either we grow away from it or we grow together with it. Is champion and run and embrace the scared. And and that 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 when you're scared, that's the moment to grab it. That's some great advice, and certainly for the for, for your industry, but also for any any anything in life, isn't it? It's uh, 
it's very easy to want to go, oh, step away. But by stepping into it, it really does. Uh, I, I always call it growing muscles, not not the physical necessary, but that inner muscle for or mind muscle. Rejuvenating. It gives you that uh, sense of I can accomplish anything I set my mind to. Um, it gives you the confidence that you get out in front of people and you know, you're not going to fail. Um, you know, and, and still to today, I can get in front of a large group of people and people are like, oh, you're, you're not shy. You're not intimidated. And I, still today I get scared, you know, but that's what, that's, that's what I feed off of. But that's healthy and that's good. And that's, that's, that's important because I think if you didn't have that, you know, that, that, that would be almost more worrying. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, 100%. and, uh, certainly those who go and perform on stage, et cetera, it's, it's when they don't have that, those nerves, then I, I would question. Oh, so, um, yeah. That yeah and me- one more thing, if I could add, we're not perfect and learn to laugh at yourself, learn yeah. to have fun. I remember I was doing a cooking competition during a, I'm not a cook. I, I was a farmer's market. I was doing a cooking demo uh-huh. and I was cutting squash during the holidays and a piece flew and hit the, one of the customers in the head in the front <laughs> row. And I was so embarrassed that could have just done it for me. I could have gone home in shame. And instead I went with it and I'm like, and that's what you do to the relatives you don't like during the holidays. And everybody just started laughing and you just keep going. You, you have to find a way to be human, show them that you're human. You're not perfect. Laugh at yourself and it will all come together. Together, but just don't don't go in silence of the uncomfortable embrace the uncomfortable yeah. i like that that's brilliant absolutely i'm uh that laughter is a yeah well it's a, a great way to isn't it to inspire move situations along and uh gosh and helps you roll in those more difficult situations as well so absolutely thank you james that's brilliant now looking now at collaborations and mentorship in the sense that you've had in the course of your career, work with various chefs or personalities. Could you share an experience or from a memorable collaboration or with a chef mentor or someone who maybe influenced you in your in your career? So th- this was very early on in my career. <clears throat> I was a chef in uh, for Hilton in the financial district in San Francisco, still young in my game, under 30. I had followed Daniel Balud in New York um, with, with his restaurant Balud for uh, the beginning of my career. And ever since I went to California Culinary Academy, I was just infatuated with how he does all that. And I had an opportunity to go to New York a la minute uh, at the last minute. And I happened to, um, I think I called him, left a message, maybe emailed him. I think it was an email. And I said, I'm a visiting chef from San Francisco. And I would love to try and get into your restaurant. It's completely sold out. They not only got me in, but it was embarrassing. I didn't have a chef, I, like a, a, a dress coat. So they had to lend me one. So I was super embarrassed. We go into this fishbowl and I, this is where I was blown away. I go to use the bathroom on a 16 course meal and I come back expecting to miss a course and they were spot on. The napkin went off, the next course went down. And that's when I learned everybody had earphones, microphone, there was somebody controlling the whole room. And I was just blown away by Daniel Balut himself when he came out on a Saturday night, full restaurant, stopped everything to explain how it all worked and talked to me who was just a beginning chef, a nobody, had no name, nobody knew who I was. And here's this celebrity icon, just magical person taking an hour out of his time to talk to me in a, in a full dining room. And, and 20, 30 years later, even when I was at Atelier Corinne, I reached out to him and told him how powerful that was, what he did for me in my career, how he made me feel like I was 
important as well or or whatever he did put fire underneath me to just just drive and he said i I didn't do anything i just came out and talked to you you know humility humbleness and he just doesn't understand that that was the pinnacle moment in my career where i looked at these mentors as real mentors and not just icons or celebrities Mm -hmm. that these were special unique people and i was fortunate enough in my career to run into joel robochon and and thomas keller and and um Alex Strada and and so many other chefs that were humility and humbleness. They all had the same thread. They they were all about the next generation and sharing their knowledge, not hiding it, and and motivating, inspiring people to become to, for greatness. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this thing that says um, we're in the pursuit of excellence, but it doesn't exist. Doesn't mean we stop. We keep searching for the pursuit of excellence. Love that. Fantastic. What a great story. And uh, thank you for sharing that. So, so true and so important to have that. You know, everyone needs that piece of inspiration and humility is such a profound, uh, I think, trait, isn't it? Yes. And, uh, so it's, uh, moving to sort of balancing uh, creativity and consistency, I want to say. Obviously, those two aspects must be vital for chef. How do you manage to infuse your dishes with with creativity whilst maintaining consistent standards i mean it's that, the same. Is, again it would apply to many industries um that's an amazing question um i don't think i've ever been asked that before and i had <laughs> but as soon as you said it i had the answer um just behind the scenes um we are artists whether we're in the cooking field whether we're in something and our imaginations are huge and we are the architects of our, our of our design so when I design something, I'm way out there. I, I have technique and I have an imagination where I can do it to the T because I'm the artist. But if somebody is not at your level and you pass it down, they'll be drawing out the out, they'll be drawing past the outline. They'll they they won't center something, they won't see what you see, they won't do the sauce like you did, they may not cook the fish like you do, the technique, and you may overwhelm your team. So what I call is I call the dummy down process is I create something that that I'm proud of, but then I say to myself, okay, if seven people on your team every night had to replicate this dish in, in a time frame of 15 minutes or 20 minutes and get out to the customer, how's it going to look? How's it going to translate? And so you start to say, what can this dish, what can I deconstruct off this dish that would not jeopardize the what I intended to do as an artist? And that's when you, I call it dumbing it down and <laughs> then your training begins. And so if you do that and overwhelming your team is, is a disaster, it's a recipe for disaster. And so I'm sure you heard this before. Keep it simple, make it elegant. Absolutely. So I'm constant. I'm a, I'm a mad scientist and my <laughs> wife is always keeping me in a box going, keep it simple, make it elegant. And I think that keep it simple, make it elegant is where people fall in love with the food. If it's overcomplicated and your team is overwhelmed, so will the guest. So I think the theme inside and outside of food would be keep it simple, make it elegant. I like that. Fantastic. Makes it makes a lot of sense. We've, we, we, you've sort of mentioned some highlights in your you know career, challenges and uh, et cetera. But looking back on the career, is there one the most proud? I know you've you moment or milestone that you achieved as a chef? So, you know, you would think, honestly, you would think it would be the Food Network when I won the catering challenge first place, or you think it would be 
World Food Championship where I took seafood worldwide first place for Hawaii. Um, you would think that would be the pinnacle point of your career, but it wasn't. Um, it was a 16-year-old boy by the name of, um, um, I'm so sorry, um, Adrian Avalar, who had leukemia, was a make-a-wish. And he was supposed to go to Italy. To, he, his passion was to learn how to make pasta from an Italian chef. Their plane got diverted into Hawaii because of uh, strikes or something like that. And in two days notice, I was called and said, we, uh, we were picking you. Would you be up to this challenge? And the answer was yes, right away. And I had a debut of uh, Guy's Grocery Games, 50 people at my house of all walks of life. And at the end, they went to applaud. And I said, no applause. Let's all talk. And I said, I need your all help. We got to make, we got to bring Italy to Adrian Avalar and his family. Mm -hmm. And it was like a group effort. And it was like a, it was like a Cinderella storytelling where one person was like, I sing um, real opera. And another person was, I make Italian gelato. He said he was one of the best Italian gelato um, companies in all Hawaii won awards. And he's like, I'll do the dessert. One person was like, I'll design the the scrapbook. And one person was like, I'll get the chef coat with, you know, um, another person was, koa wood which resembles bravery and made a koa uh, cutting board with, for, out of him i mean for him so we had a graduation and a fake like uh certificate master italian class but mm -hmm. the whole day the whole day he made four different pastas gnocchi ravioli uh fettuccine from scratch mm -hmm. we made four different sauces uh we made antipasto i mean it, it was just incredible so he thought that was it and then upstairs, we had a hidden private dining room where they walked in. The Italian was, it was all decorated. Another person had Italian props because that's what they did. So with everybody coming together in two days, we brought Italy to them. And you would think that'd be enough to make his mom cry. But what really did is when we lit the candles and we're not supposed to light real candles and they cried, she goes, Adrian, we finally got our date. And so in the hospital, they would light, would do the fake candles because you couldn't have real ones. Mm -hmm. And when I lit the candles, that was a, that was their thing. And they just broke down crying and not a dry eye in the room. And it just, when you look at what food can do and how powerful everybody coming together through good and bad, that is, I got chicken skin thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I, I, that will go down in history as the most powerful evoking emotion of you know, and, and all they wanted was just show them how to do one pasta. Wow. And we took it so much further. Gosh, that that's just, yeah, my, I, you call it chicken shed. And I've never heard that before. That's a very shed. <laughs> I love that though. Um, but yes, amazing, incredible. And uh, made my body shiver and um, what a great, what a great memory and what a great story as well. I think there's even a TV show in that. You could do that, replicate that a lot of times in the culinary world. Um, let's see if he follows up with that. Um, that's that's incredible. And um, wrapping up on the last couple of questions, it's always interested me. Obviously, there's lots of different diet dietary, I guess the word preferences. How do you approach or create dishes? Are you mindful of that? Or, oh, um, I, or do you just have to be very good at writing things on menus and letting people what's knowing it, uh, what's in things? Or um, it's, it's such an interesting question, Julia. Without because... compromising flavor as well, because how do you do all that? So you got to remember in the 80s, a vegetarian was a steamed plate of vegetables. It was it with maybe a marinara slapped on top. You know, it was an afterthought. Nobody, if you said gluten-free and low sodium and heart healthy, people would look at you lopsided. And then moving into the 90s, you know, gluten was a thing and vegan was a thing and vegetarian was a thing and pescatarian was a thing. And so I think growing up and going through it slowly 
built up character and mm-hmm. built us into this thing. Because if I was to get into culinary field now and experience what I did with Atelier Karen in a three Michelin dining room doing 16 courses, before it starts, we have a meeting and we say, okay, here's the restrictions for the evening. So we'll have a table of five with 16 courses and one of them has every single restriction. And there's about 12 to 16 different restrictions worldwide out there. And we would already know this ahead of time. So we would create on paper um, extra menus and we would have to make those sauces without the salt or without the sugars or without the the gluten. We would actually make it work because that's, we were, we were, that's what Michelin does. You find a way. In the regular restaurants, it, it is challenging. And if you look, a lot of menus, they dummy it down to make it easy on everybody. They just take the cream and the butter and they make a lot of things vegan already. And you're jeopardizing your fat and your riches and your butters, but they'll try to do that to streamline so it's not as hard on them in the middle of service. So a lot of chefs have different strategies, but I think the ones that embrace it the most, and, and again, run at that challenge, challenge yourself. You know, I've, I've, I've been doing catering where nobody told me about restrictions, but I had enough sauces where my mind just clicked and I just put everything together and created a dish for them a la minute. And they're like, that was the best dish I ever had in my life. What's the recipe? <laughs> and I said, and I sit there and go, there is none. I, I, I just do it together, you know, and I think cooking with passion and heart and soul, no matter what the challenge is, cooking is cooking, you know, and if you embrace it that way, it's not as daunting of going, how do you not like fat and butter? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Thumbs up for that. Um, Fantastic. Now, briefly, just uh, wrapping up, there's sort of two more questions, just one. um, But outside of the cooking lane, because obviously we've focused mainly on food and your your, the cooking career outside of that, or outside of your culinary skills, um, what, what, what hobbies or activities do you enjoy pursuing um, when you're not creating all this delicious food? Um, I would have to say uh, I got I really got into golf. Um, oh. It just it's it's concentration. It's mm-hmm. trying to do the impossible. It's kind of like cooking, <laughs> trying to do the impossible. And you got to practice and practice until you become good at it. And it's yeah. it's a challenge. It's not something you're going to be you're born excellent at. Yeah. And I would have to say the other thing is surfing is mm-hmm. there's something and it's kind of like my career. I tried to get out of the cooking world for a little bit uh, during the pandemic. And it's it's like this this it's the current, it pulls you in because that's your passion. You know, you can run from it, but it's who you are. And there's, there's a sense of just fighting the waves to get out there where you're exhausted and then enjoying the moment. And I have a tattoo actually right here. And it's me when I was, well, I can't, but it's, it's me riding the pipeline in Hawaii when I was in Miami before I even knew I'd live in Hawaii. So I think when you're passionate about something will come true. And the reason why it's in the pipeline is the world is the PSI. If you're not in the sweet spot, it's going to rip you apart no matter what you do. But if you get in that sweet spot and enjoy the ride, the, the journey is worth it. And that's a reminder of me that you're going to get beat up along the way, but just remember to enjoy the ride. Absolutely. Wise words, which sort of, and you sort of partly answered um, my final question, which was going to be, what, what, what are your next moves or moves on the horizon? And does it include food? But it sounds like it might do. So um, I, I got out of the, the business altogether. I had up to 100 uh, employees, we were doing a delivery service, um, and I, I knew nothing about it, and we were very successful. Mm-hmm. So I figured 
knowing that there's nothing you can't put your mind to, whether your comfort zone or not, mm. you're going to succeed. And just like the surfing, just like the wave, um, cooking is pulling me back in. So I, I can't get away from the cooking. It's my passion. It's what I love. I'm right now doing private catering. I, I went to the Hamptons to do a private party, Boca Raton to do a private party, L.A., I'm going to Hawaii next month. Uh, we're doing a charity event for Maui. And, and then I do stuff, of course, in the Bay Area. There's something about traveling, playing with different ingredients, touching it, smelling it, challenging myself. Um, I love that. So I do theatrical high-end catering, if you will. But I am looking for a brick and mortar. I am looking for something really cool. I don't think it's going to be Michelin. I think it's going to be more mm -hmm. uh, comfort food on steroids and a great breakfast spot because yeah. we don't have any good breakfast spots around us. <laughs> Amazing. Um, James... It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you, sharing your stories, your wisdom, your experiences, centering around the culinary world, but expand way beyond that. You've been a delight. And yes, thank you so much for sharing, sharing all. We look forward to seeing your next moves in the culinary worlds um, in whichever brick and mortar space that you land. Thank you absolutely. so much for your time. Leah, thank you so much. It was an honor. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Take care.